If your life were on the line, an instinct would drive you to thrash and fight like never before. As Satan faces defeat, that's exactly how he's fighting. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah illustrates this truth from Revelation, with the devil attacking more and more aggressively as his ultimate demise draws near. With the conclusion of his message, the dragon, here's David. Well, thank you so much. You know, the Bible tells us we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What it means is that we're to learn what the Bible teaches us about him, we're to understand what it is he's trying to do and stand against him in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not to be ignorant of his devices, his schemes. The word device is a word which means scheme or strategy. Satan has a strategy for your life and for mine, and uh, he will never stop until he is stopped by Almighty God himself. One day in the future, he's going to be actively involved in the tribulation. His um, activity is so evil that John refers to him as the dragon. We started discussing him yesterday. We're going to finish it up today as we open our Bibles to the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. Before we go there, let me just remind you again, uh, we have a, a new book that we would like to give you uh, and make it available to you and your family. And the book is called After the Rapture. It has just been released. In fact, I'm reading uh, all the information about it and don't actually have my copy yet, but we'll be getting it in the next couple of days. This book um, is created with the purpose of getting the attention of people who aren't Christians. The book describes what will happen on earth after the rapture takes place. It's the kind of book that you give to somebody who's maybe a little bit skeptical about all of this, and you say, well, you know what? You don't have to believe what I'm saying, but at least uh, be honest enough to read what the, what the Scripture says is going to take place on the earth after the rapture takes place. And ask yourself, do you want to be in the rapture or do you want to be after the rapture? And uh, I think God is going to use this book to open some eyes and some hearts, and we'd love to send you a copy of it. There's ways you can get more than one copy. If you go to our website, it'll explain everything. But be sure and ask for your copy when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of May. And now let's get started with part two of The Dragon. The ninth verse here in the 12th chapter of Revelation perhaps gives us the greatest succinct description of Satan you'll find any place in the Bible. If you look for key verses about key things, this is one you don't want to miss. He is called the great dragon, the old serpent, the devil, Satan, and the deceiver of the whole world in one verse. Don't get the impression that this means he's an ugly creature. When we say dragon, he has a dragon heart. But the Bible says he's a creature of light, created in beautiful light to be attractive to those whom he tempts. Literally, the word devil that describes him here in this verse means slanderer. Do you know what Satan does now? He has an audience in heaven, and he goes into heaven and into the courtroom of heaven, and he defames us before Christ. He's like a corrupt prosecuting attorney. He tries to condemn us and destroy our reputation before the judge of all the earth. And the final phrase used in verse 9 to describe the devil is that he deceives the whole world. And according to the Apostle Paul, he's still doing that today, 
Do you know that the greatest thing about Satan is his deception? Have you ever noticed that when you get involved with him in sin, it always looks good at the front end and ends up bad at the back end? His promises are always greater than he delivers. Somebody says, you have your right to choose your kicks, but you can't control the kickbacks. Satan always pays his dues. He gets you up front with all of his promises, and before you know it, it's down, down, down. He's the great deceiver. Paul wrote to the Corinthians these words. He said, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age is Satan. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The Bible says that Satan's determination is to blind us so we can't see the gospel. I oftentimes preach the gospel and I try to tell people how much Jesus loves them, how much God wants them to be a part of his forever family, and they sit there and don't do anything, and I wonder, how could they hear that and not want to know God? Well, you forget there's another force at work, and that force is the deceiver who's reminding them of the things they need to do after church and the reason why they shouldn't contribute to this and why they shouldn't listen, and before you know it, he's got them and they're off on their way and they have not heard the gospel and responded to it. So here we learn about Satan, the great deceiver. Notice his power, verse 3. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now again, in the symbolism of Revelation, this is not hard to figure out. Seven is the perfect number When you hear of somebody having seven heads, that's about their intelligence. Satan is a very intelligent being. The Bible refers to him as being cunning and scheming. Satan is an intelligent being. The crowns on his head illustrate that. The diadems on these crowns remind us that the Bible speaks in majestic terms about Satan. The Bible speaks of Satan not only as an intelligent being, but as a majestic being, as a crowned monarch, if you will. Do you know what his name is? He is the prince of this world. Three times we are told that he is the prince of this world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. Satan, this intelligent being, is not only smart, but he has a royalty about him in the world. He's the prince of the world. When it speaks of him being the prince of the world, it's talking about his control over men. When it speaks of him being the prince of the power of the air, that's a reference to his control of the demons. So Satan is smart. He is majestic. He is royal in the way he goes about his life, his power. Notice in verse 4, Satan not only has power, he has some partners. It says in verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, the stars represent angels. And the Bible says that when Satan was thrown out of heaven, he didn't come alone. He took a third of the angels with him. That rebellion that I told you about in the story where they were cheering for him, but he miscalculated and they were just the noisiest ones, not all of them. They came with Satan. The Bible tells us that a third of the angels fell from heaven when Satan was kicked out of heaven. So how many would that be? I don't know. Because the Bible doesn't tell us how many angels there are. It tells us there are thousands upon thousands and thousand thousands. They are innumerable. There's more angels than you can imagine. And by the way, as I mentioned before, there aren't any new angels being created. All the angels there ever were, ever will be, are in existence right now. But the Bible tells us that out of that innumerable number of angels, however many you may dream there will be, One-third of them 
came to this earth with Satan when he was thrown out of heaven. Is it any wonder that he's as effective as he is? He's got a lot of helpers. These demonic creatures filled with their hatred of the one whom they rebelled against are Satan's minions. They're his partners. I know a lot of people think about this and they say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I don't believe the devil has angels. That doesn't make any sense. Angels are beautiful creatures. Satan couldn't have any of those. Well, here's a verse to help you. This is the word of the Lord Jesus. God will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. All right. I'm glad you're still out there. The devil has angels. His angels are not good. They're filled with the same hatred for God and for his people that Satan has, and they help him do his work. Peter and Jude both tell us about these fallen angels, that some of them are imprisoned and some of them are organized under Satan to manipulate the world according to his plan. That's why we read in Ephesians chapter 6, the great passage on the armor of the believer, these words. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our battle primarily is not with each other. Our battle is what's going on in heaven between the forces of good and the forces of evil. Now, what is Satan's purpose? We've seen his power and we've met his partners. In verse 4, we learn of his purpose. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Does everybody get that? Who is the woman? Israel. Who is the child? And what does the dragon want to do with Jesus? Destroy him. When God told Satan in the Garden of Eden that the seed of the woman will crush your head, Satan heard it. And he began his campaign to eradicate that promised seed. Knowing from prophecy that the promised one would spring from Israel, Satan did everything he could do to keep that nation from ever coming into existence at all. He incited Esau to try to kill Jacob, who was the father of Israel. And when that failed, he incited Pharaoh to murder all the Jewish boys in Egypt. Had either Jacob or Moses not survived, the nation of Israel would never have existed. When the prophesied child was finally born, Satan instilled fear and hatred in the King Herod. Do you remember what he did? He had all the babies in Bethlehem murdered. But the sovereign hand of God intervened and directed Joseph to go to Egypt with his family, sparing Jesus' life. And on a Friday afternoon, Satan saw the fruition of his long campaign when the Son of God succumbed to a bloody death on a Roman cross. And when Christ's mangled body was wrapped in linen, embalmed in spices, and sealed in a sepulcher, Satan thought he had won. But God had purposed for this promised child to rescue and rule the world, and God never changes his purposes. And on the third day, he raised Jesus from the dead, and Satan was cooked. He was done. The great dragon. And now we read in verses 7 and 8 about the great war. 
War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. These verses do not refer to just one battle, but to a long war with many battles on many fronts. These include the battle between Michael and Satan, the battle between the Satan-led angels and the God-led angels, and the battle between Satan-led people and God-led people. The book of Revelation tells us that a final battle between these fierce enemies is to occur in the end times. And perhaps you were thinking, well, come on, Jeremiah, I thought Satan was judged at the cross. Why is he doing so well today? Doesn't look to me like he's dead. Looks to me like he's having a heyday among God's people and in the world, and in Israel especially. And that's correct. He was defeated on the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.14, As much then as the children have partaken in the flesh and blood, Christ himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. When Christ died on the cross, the devil was doomed. He was judged. So why does he seem to be so active and winning today? I know that's a hard question, and I'm not going to dodge it. I'm going to try to help you understand it as I do. The answer is that legally, Calvary was Satan's complete undoing. Like any legal action, however, the decision has to be enforced. In our nation's courts today, convicted murderers are seldom executed until years after their conviction. The ultimate victory has been won at Calvary, but it won't be totally implemented until some point in the future. In the meantime, we know that Satan is no longer able to do what he wants to do. And when we give him an edge in our life, we're doing something very silly. He doesn't have power over us. Satan is not the ultimate force. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan does not have the power over your life. Satan is a doomed, judged enemy. His judgment was at the cross. It will be carried out ultimately when he is thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. But between now and then, his presence is still here without any ultimate power, but with all kinds of ability to disturb and discourage and distress us. Can I get a witness? How many of you know Satan is alive and well? He was working in your life and in mine this last week, if we're honest. But it's interesting to me that the way we enforce his judgment now is through prayer. I believe this with all of my life. When we pray and we pray against the enemy, we enforce the judgment that was passed on him at the cross. We can pray that into operation even today before it is finally completed. When I pray and say, Lord, I'm praying against the enemy today, defeat him in his every attempt to destroy this marriage or to hurt this family or to ruin this organization or to sow discontent in this church, when we pray against him, we help to enforce the victory that was won at the cross until it's ultimately carried out in its completion. The Bible tells us, listen to this, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't have carnal weapons. That means fleshly weapons, like things you hold in your hands. But our weapons are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, 
bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not powerless. Even in this intermission between the judgment and its fruition, we have been given everything we need. The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the evil one and having done all to stand. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The great war. Now, the great wrath. Revelation 12 says, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. At the end of time, when we get to heaven, we're going to be made perfect in holiness, and the devil will never be able to accuse us of anything else. We'll be beyond accusation, perfect as Jesus is. But heaven's purification without the devil is earth's pollution because he's coming down here, y'all. And I'm happy for heaven. I'm sad for earth. And he's going to have fury like you would never know. The Bible says in those last days when Satan's on this earth, he will be furious in his attacks because he knows that his time is short. Satan knows he's been judged, and he knows the sentence is going to be carried out in a short time, so he's packing everything he can into the interim to do as much damage to the cause of Christ as he can, and especially to the people of Israel, to the woman who brought forth the male child. And his assault is aggravated. Verse 12 says, he will come having great wrath. Satan's assault against the Jewish people will be marked by the desecration of the temple and the all-out persecution of the Jewish people. It's an anti-Semitic assault, if you will. Revelation 12, 13, and 15 says, When the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, now watch this, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child. Who is the woman that gave birth to the child? Israel. It is also an angry assault. Notice verse 17. The last verse in Revelation 12 says that the dragon is enraged to the point of making war. Now watch carefully this language. With those within the nation of Israel who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is not a reference to the Jews in general, but to some specific Jews. Who are the people who keep the commandments and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, we know some of them, don't we? The martyrs, the two witnesses, 144,000, all the Messianic Jews who live in Israel, they're part of that group. And the Bible says that not only does Satan want to take out Israel, he specifically wants to take out the Christians who are in Israel, the people who are obeying the word of God and giving the testimony of Jesus Christ. So there's this great global attack against the Jewish nation, but an even stronger attack against those within Judaism who have embraced Jesus Christ as their Messiah and are living for the real Savior of the world. An angry assault. And Satan's going to be angry with these faithful followers for one reason, because they have aligned themselves with his greatest enemy, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Carolyn Ahrens tells this story that helps us understand why, with all of this that's going to happen in the future, we're still being given grief by Satan. She tells this story in a book that I read. She said that when she was growing up, she used to love missions Sundays when the missionaries on furlough brought special reports in place of the sermon. She said there was one visit that she will never forget. She said the missionaries were a married couple stationed in what appeared to be a particularly steamy jungle. 
One day, they told us, an enormous snake, much longer than a man, slithered its way right through their front door and into the kitchen of their home. Ooh. Terrified, they ran outside and searched frantically for a local who might know what to do. A machete-wielding neighbor came to the rescue, calmly marching into their house and decapitating the snake with one clean chop. The neighbor came back out and assured the missionaries that the reptile had been defeated. But there was a catch. He warned it was going to take a while for the snake to realize that it was dead. A snake's neurology and blood flow are such that it can take considerable time for it to stop moving after it's been decapitated. And for the next several hours, the missionaries were forced to wait outside while this snake thrashed about, smashing furniture, flailing against walls and windows, wreaking havoc until its body finally understood that it no longer had a head. (laughs) At some point in their waiting, the missionaries told us they had a mutual epiphany. Do you see it, they said. Satan is like that big old snake. He's already been defeated. He just doesn't know it yet. In the meantime, he's going to do some damage. But never forget that he's a goner. And Aaron's in her article concluded by reminding us that one day all of Satan's thrashing will stop. The story haunts me, she said, because I have come to believe it is an accurate picture of our universe. We are in the thrashing time, a season characterized by our pervasive capacity to do violence to each other and to ourselves. And the temptation is to despair. We have to remember, though, that it won't last forever. Jesus is coming back soon, and the war will be won, and the old dragon will be once and for all defeated. First of all, cast into the bottomless pit, and then from the bottomless pit cast into the lake of fire where the Bible says he will be forever and ever. So I don't know if it helps you, but it helps me. We're living in the thrashing time, are we not? The old enemy is thrashing. He's thrashing pretty good these days because you see the Bible says he knows that his time is short and that whatever he's going to do, he better be doing it quickly because he doesn't have much time. And I want to tell you something, men and women, if the enemy of our souls knows that, we ought to know it ourselves. Not only is his time short, but our time is short to do what we're going to do for God. In these days that are before us, we shouldn't be just sitting back on our hands, watching the world go by and trying to figure out what's happening. We should be making things happen. We should be preaching the gospel to the world. We should be doing everything we can to pull out every stop because our time is short, is it not? One of these days, the heavens are going to open and the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to hear the voice. And the Lord Jesus is going to descend and he's going to take those who have put their trust in him to heaven forever and ever. In the meantime, while the enemy's thrashing, we need to be doing our job preaching the gospel. Because once again, I want to remind you, we've already won the war. We should not be fighting this war as defeated ones, but as victorious ones. We should be marching with our heads up high and our shoulders back and not being always the brunt of everything, but being the thrust of everything. Because men and women, we are victorious. We are victors. Actually, the Bible says it this way. The Bible says we are more than conquerors. I mean, that's victory plus, plus, plus. (laughs) And we ought to act that way as believers. Satan is no match for a spirit-filled Christian. 
And if you allow him to take control over your life, uh, you're making a huge mistake because all he wants to do is destroy you. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he wants to build you up and bring you to your fullest realization as a person and most of all as a child of God. Well, uh, we're finished with the dragon, uh, at least for now. And tomorrow we're going to talk about part of Satan's strategy during the tribulation period. And the title of tomorrow's message, the Friday edition of Turning Point, is The Mark of the Beast. This is discussed a lot, even among people who don't have a clue what they're talking about. We're going to tell you what the Bible says about it when you join us tomorrow right here on this good station. Pray for your stations, pray for your managers, pray for the people that make available to you these Bible teaching programs and gospel music. They, um, they do a good work, and we're blessed to be on the team with them. We'll see you right here tomorrow. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God blessing you with this ministry? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional, and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. One of the modern era's greatest thinkers, Albert Einstein, said, The important thing is not to stop questioning. Apparently, he practiced what he preached, as he kept questioning the laws of the universe until he arrived at the theory of relativity. 
I think Christians should be among the world's best questioners, if for no other reason than that we have access to God who knows every answer. The disciples never hesitated to ask Jesus questions, and Jesus even asked the Father a painful question himself when he was dying on the cross. If there's something you need to know, well, ask God, then begin listening and watching for his answer. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's answers on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.